0: Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast. My name is Mitch Johnston and I'll be your host. Coaching in Clubland is an Aussie podcast designed for current and aspiring coaches from all levels and across a range of sports to share their experiences about the caper. We discuss the rollercoaster that is the coaching experience, the highs, the lows, the joys and the pitfalls. I caught the coaching bug as a teenager and have been fortunate enough to hold various coaching roles within cricket and footy clubs over the last 15 years. Through these experiences and my interactions as a player, I've come across many great and some not so great coaches in Clubland. We'll aim to keep things simple, practical and relatable so that you can apply these insights to your own coaching experiences. Sit back, grab a cuppa and please enjoy the episode. In this episode of Coaching in Clubland, we speak to Carl Mayne. Hailing from Ballarat, Carl made his way to the Essendon Creek Club as a talented young batsman and was good enough to play a handful of first living games before quickly turning his focus to coaching. As senior coach, Carl has been a driving force in establishing Brunswick Cricket Club as a benchmark club in the subbies competition. Carl was also previously the coach of the Carlton Brunswick Strikers Cricket Club in the Victorian Premier Cricket Female Competition, and has held coaching roles in the Youth Premier League with the Central Highlands and Northwest Wizards regions. In our chat with Carl, we talk about optimising time at cricket training, establishing strong club culture, and the many challenges that local cricket coaches encounter. Welcome to the Coaching Clubland podcast, Carl May. Thanks, MJ. Good to be here. Uh, Love talking coaching, as you know. So yeah, pleased to uh, get into it with you. Great to have you on, mate. And we've got the good news in Victoria today that restrictions will be eased Friday. How have you spent the last few weeks and what have you uh, done to keep yourself preoccupied?
1: Yeah, uh, like many, I guess, the dog gets plenty of walks, dusted off the guitar a couple of times. We have some ongoing chess battles with my partner, Emma. And uh, I've probably got a little bit addicted to buying and checking cryptocurrencies,
0: but for anyone out there, it's a good time to buy if they might be interested. I remember back in the day, mate, when the bombers were collapsing, you'd be sitting there with your Barefoot Investor article in the the sun, uh, just ready up on the latest stocks or little tips. Yeah, just trying to find a ticket out of here.
1: Unfortunately, my uh, app, Score Reaper, didn't quite pay off, but yeah, maybe, maybe this will work for me.
0: With your work, mate, you're the cricket officer for Southwest Victoria at CV. Can you just tell us about what this role entails? Yeah, so I work in the community cricket department,
1: which is sort of game development, looking at participation, growth, and retention. So, the Southwest area looks after five regions: um, two country regions, Barwon and Central Highlands, and then all of the West Metro. So. We've got about 340 clubs, um, 16 associations. So it it is a pretty big workload for what's three people at the moment. But yeah, the role is to work with clubs and make sure they've got access to resources that they need. So my role has a fair bit to do in that school space or the cricket blast space, which is the entry level program. Um, along with sort of growing the game in underrepresented groups. So that's uh, all abilities, Indigenous and multicultural representation as well. So, yeah, been there um, over two years and interesting period at the moment. This time last year, we went through a pretty big restructure. Um, There's recently been a few moves at the top with uh, Nick Cummins coming in as CEO.
0: So, yeah, uh, a bit going on, but certainly work that I'm enjoying. And I'm sure cricket's got some challenges with, you know, competing sports and interests and hobbies and maybe attention span of some younger participants, not quite being what it was. So are there any things that you're doing that space to promote the game and try and uh, maximize numbers? Yeah, we're doing a a lot
1: on the retention space. I think the current numbers sort of indicate that over a four year period, uh, uh, any sort of standard club might keep about 40% of of their participants. Um, So We're doing what we can to try and address and improve that uh, as well as grow participants at that entry-level program. So it's interesting. Um, A lot of people will probably say that that cricket takes too long and it needs to look at at those sorts of aspects, but I think it's probably part of the appeal uh, as well. And, yeah, it shouldn't go too far away from its roots and, and the traditional game, but it just needs to be making sure that People are enjoying the experience when they're there and getting enough time um, to improve their skills and having opportunities and, and things like that.
0: And that's part of the reason I was really keen to get you on, because I think in many respects, we've had a quite a similar journey with coaching and in uh, our playing careers at and going to subbies as younger coaches and, and learning the craft that way. So I'm really keen to pick your brain about your coaching methodology and approach and some of the key influences that have led to, I think, what's probably more uh, creative style of coaching that you like to implement. So
1: in terms of coaches that have influenced me, I guess like many my age, it probably started with Gordon Bombay and what he did with the District 9 Pee Wee hockey team. But following that, I grew up sort of in Ballarat and played my um, Country junior footy with Lake Winderie, and played with the sons of Ray McLean, who who founded leading teams and sort of many AFL clubs have used. He sort of became known through the Sydney Swans and Paul Ruse. Um, they adopted a, a Bloods trademark and a no dickhead policy, which sort of uh, was was largely his influence. So. Yeah, and probably about year nine, I read Ray's book, um, Any Given Team, and I ended up doing my work placement with, with leading teams and Jimmy Plunkett, and yeah, I found um, their model of player empowership really interesting, and um, that's probably what started the, the coaching fire for me, and then from there, like you said, we we sort of went into Premier Cricket together, and I don't know if you, you were the same, and not nothing against the coaches I had, but I often found myself questioning, I guess, the traditional model of cricket training and whether it was the best way to get players to improve. So that's probably led me to what I enjoy about coaching at the moment, which is problem solving and looking at something and can it be done better and trying to work through solutions and ideas. And then I guess you you implement them and review if they if they worked or not. Um, so, yeah, that, that's sort of probably, probably part of it. And then outside of that, um, there's probably two that I've looked at in terms of uh, an international space, Paddy Upton and Ange Postacoglu. Um, so Paddy Upton's a, a cricket coach from um, South Africa and probably similar to Ray and leading teams and that he looks to use sort of the collective IP of his playing group and puts a lot of trust and empowerment in their ability to, to make decisions. And yeah, the other one being Ange, I, when he was coaching the the Socceroos, I, I just loved his belief in his ability and the, I guess, the opportunity that was in Australian football. He, he sort of promoted the A-League, the, the national competition, and, and really believed that Australia should go out and try and strive to win a World Cup, when often people sort of made him feel like he should be apologetic for even having that view. So yeah, I think it was a real shame how he was sort of treated by the media and a loss to Sport in the country. But yeah, they're, they're
0: some of the um, influences that, that I've sort of had. And it looks like Andrew's, Andrew Postacogli is right in contention for the Celtic job or just about over the line, I think. So that that's a massive boon for Australian coaching, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. He's he's always sort of
0: um, believed that people can
1: do it on the world stage and our skill set isn't different to to anyone else's. So yeah, I, I wish him well in that role and we'll we'll be keeping an eye on it. But um yeah, at the
0: same time, I, I think it's a shame that he's uh not still with the uh with the Socceroos. Just coming back to your point around you know your experiences as a player in premier cricket and some of the challenges that training might have presented and for mine, the lack of Resourcing was pretty evident that you know you'd have your senior coach who was trying his guts out and pretty much doing it all, but there wasn't enough support in and around that person, so I think mm-hmm. that's something that can really affect you know the quality of training and the program that's offered if, if there's not enough support to players and ability for players to tap into a range of resources around them. I think how things have changed. So I know that when I was coaching in Premier cricket, a big emphasis for me was. I would like, you know, four or five people around me with different ideas, different skill sets and personalities that I'd know that if I wasn't quite getting through to a player, at least would have another couple of options within my coaching panel that might resonate a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I think having having different voices is sort of key. It's always going to be difficult if you're one coach working with 50 players, especially over a two hour period, twice twice a week. It, it just doesn't lend any ability to to get around and work with the majority of people and interestingly enough sort of last season with COVID we we were sort of forced um, as many clubs to sort of look at our training structures and, and break them down into smaller groups so what we did at Brunswick is we sort of identified the people that could get to training a little bit earlier whether it's work or school and um, put them into an earlier group and then we sort of had a sort of two groups follow that so three groups that sort of started and finished trainings at different times. But as a coach, that just freed me up to sort of engage with so many more people and um, less going on at at one sort of time. Really, I think as a coach, it created some opportunities. So um, it it, it certainly worked for some and and some others didn't prefer it as sort of what we've done in the past. But, yeah, I I think at least it it got us looking at, or there are different ways to, to go about it. Um, And, yeah, we'll probably try and adapt some aspect of
0: that in the upcoming season as well. I think we blame COVID for a lot of things in society, but I think with cricket training, we might have just found a few little gems there around how we can do things a bit differently to the traditional model. Now, some of your strengths include your creativity, as we touched on before, and really emphasising club culture. So what are some of the key changes that you made in your time at Brunswick and what is high on the priority list going forward? I think... Starting, the, the most important thing I
1: tried to do with a community club was provide an environment that people enjoyed being a part of. I think the reality is that people have decisions about what they can be, do spending their time and you can't make things compulsory at, at local sport. People people decide whether they want to do it or not. Um, so I just tried to make sure that when people were there, they felt they were getting some worth and some value out of that. When we talk about sort of culture, I think it really is just the sum of the people that you have and their values. Um, so if you have enough good people, you'll you'll have good culture. So that's probably one aspect, and the other is just about the behaviours that you accept. Um, so you need to be really clear about how things are done around there, and then pull people into line when they stray outside of that into anything that's unproductive and if you get that to a really good place then it's not up to the coach or the captain to pull people up but anyone from the playing group will do it because they understand and have confidence um, and know that they'll be supported in sort of drawing attention to what moves the group forward and what doesn't in early days, I probably tried to raise the expectations of the club. I think when I got there, a lot of people sort of saw, saw the place as sort of mid-table in, in terms of results, and I tried to challenge people to expect more and just act in a way that demonstrates success. I guess you could almost call it faking it until you're making it for a little while, and that sort of probably led me to get involved a little bit with the club's brand, their their profile um, and public presence. So. I- I've got a background in marketing and and sort of business administration. I've got interests there. So um, I put a lot of work in sort of the social media space and, yeah, sort of the messaging that we were putting out. And, yeah, now we've got a pretty good social media presence Mm -hmm. with video highlights and um, a lot of content that gets picked up from various places, which sort of helps with recruitment and retention and um, probably people's connection to feeling like they belong to something. I'm really big on putting out sort of pre-season, mid-season and post-survey, post-season surveys and questions I sort of always ask about how have you enjoyed your cricket and um, what are your intentions to come back next year? I I sort of think one of the best indicators of if you've got a good coach at your club is um, your retention rate and and our players coming back year on year. So, yeah, that's certainly something that
0: um, I've sort of tried to have a, a real focus on as well. You speak about retention and, and keeping players in the game, you know, the fact that they've got other things that they could be uh, investing their time in. What are some of the other challenges that senior coaches have in local cricket?
1: There, there's a few.
0: I, I think it's one of the, the tougher, tougher roles you can sort of take
1: on. Not to say it's not rewarding, but there, there's certainly a lot of challenges. Um, so I, I sort of see it as you're you're a manager who has a lot of different things that you need to get working in sync. You're there to sort of set the environment and the expectations, uh, and not to get too deep into narrow aspects. Another challenge is sort of working with a mix of motivation levels. At sort of premier cricket or high performance, you you know everyone's sort of there to improve their cricket, and um, they're probably welcome being challenged. But at local level. People are there for for different reasons. So you sort of got to balance that out and I think have pretty good sort of emotional intelligence to understanding how to keep the majority happy uh, and move things forward without rocking the boat too far. So, yeah, they're definitely elements. The training structure, um, we we sort of talked that, We've both got issues maybe with the the old seven-minute hit, five bowlers in a lane, and then finishing with a bit of fielding training at the end. But it's difficult for local coaches um, in terms of the support and the resources, what you might have access to in in terms of fitting everything in. But in general terms, I'd probably say that coaches can spend more time trying to prioritize and work on specific things at training rather than covering all bases and doing the sort of same thing day in day out workload, just managing the workload for, for local coaches and maybe a, a willingness to, to delegate, especially when you're early in, in a role, as you'd understand it, you can sort of um, feel like you need to do everything um, and be responsible for everything, have control over everything. But, I don't think it's in your best interest long term, nor does it promote leadership within the club. I've found that people often like having been given a manageable amount of responsibility. So yeah, I I sort of encourage coaches to think or write down the list of all the things that they do. and. Where are the opportunities to, to share some of that load? It, it might be simple things like opening up or the warm-up, selection duties, looking at data, recruitment. There's, there's a bunch of things that coaches do. But, yeah, you, you don't need to do it all. And probably just finally, one area that I think um, coaches can sometimes neglect is their relationship with the committee or, or the president and ultimately the people that are appointing them. Um, it's it's probably natural to just think of your relationship with your players, but effectively I guess the, the president is is like your boss. So you need to be checking in with them to show them what you're doing and what you're working on, where you're taking the group and also get an understanding of what they're thinking and how satisfied they are um, in, in different areas. So there's a lot there, isn't there?
0: But um, like I said, it's yeah, it's it's rewarding at the same time. Absolutely, it's very hard to be everything to everyone. So I think that aspect of delegation and getting people around you that you trust and giving them manageable jobs and duties is critically important. So that's a really good point. Now you've coached the Carlton Brunswick Strikers Women's Cricket Club, who compete in Victorian Premier Cricket. In your mind, what are some of the key differences between coaching men and women? I think it's a really interesting question and it's something that I'm happy to be
1: challenged on and um, sort of educated more, but... My sort of approach that what I took was to just coach the person or the cricketer and try not to focus too much on gender. And I think that just means understanding what motivates the player, where they want to get to and how to how to help them get there. So there's probably elements where you need an understanding of, of language and communication styles and, and things like that. But I, I think that's just coaching in general. And the more I've coached, whether it be male or female, I think it's more about their age and level of maturity than anything else. So they're, they're, that's sort of the approach that I took. And it, it just came back to communication a- at the end of the day. I think more often than not, if someone's dissatisfied with you, um, it'll be over a, a lack of communication. So as long as you're letting people know where they stand and what they need to do, you'll you'll generally be okay. But yeah, it is an interesting topic. I've certainly enjoyed coaching females and I've never found any stereotypes of them being less competitive or you can't challenge them or anything like that. I just think each individual is different and you need to know the person to get the best out of them.
0: And aside from coaching senior males and females, you've also been involved in youth Premier League roles previously with the Central Highlands and the Northwest Wizards. Can you tell us about some of the different traits and attributes that a coach working at these levels and roles might need compared to a senior cricket coach at local level?
1: Yeah, they're, they're roles that I've really enjoyed coaching that that age group. I guess it's probably what I call pure coaching in, in the sense that you you probably have elements of working on their technical game, their, their game sense. You can challenge their work ethic and um, try to instill, I guess, what's a, a growth mindset in, in them as well. Whereas the, the senior coaching, as we touched on, I think is more of managing and organising. I think in terms of junior pathways or, or rep cricket, um, a really key element is sort of helping kids work through the element of failure and when things don't go according to plan at, at that sort of ages between maybe 14 to 18 they, these players come out of local competitions and they probably excel there and then that they start to play at this standard and it's the first time that they don't make 50s every game or, or take a bunch of wickets so I think a a real important aspect is developing their expectations and their ability to learn from disappointment rather than sort of being defined by it. And from there, I think it's about being able to sort of instill confidence and and self-belief in people. Um, I think that's one of the most important aspects of coaching. And if what you're doing isn't leading the player to have more confidence in themselves and their ability, then you're probably not going about it the right way. So That's probably what what I've tried to do. But I think what I enjoy about that age group as well is that you're not just working on their their cricket, but it's an important stage of their life where they're making decisions about where they want to go and who they want to be. And you can have a really big influence on that. So I think trying to to guide them through that sort of stage of their life and share some
0: experiences that maybe you had is really important as well. That can be incredibly rewarding. And as you said, Coaching in the purest form, I think. And the role at senior level is very different around, I guess, the managerial aspect, but coaching those younger people and, I guess, that innocence and that real love of the game they've got. And if you cast your mind back to your pathway days and getting out of bed every morning in January and, you know, 35 degree heat and going down to a Premier Ground and playing your Dowling Shield stuff, I mean, it's pretty, pretty exciting times. So. That was some of my, uh, Best memories, I think. Like um, coming down from Ballarat,
1: we'd, uh, we'd have a bus and we'd stay at the Queen's Colleges and, yeah, you'd stay in Melbourne for the first time with a, a bunch of mates for a week. And, um, yeah, a large part of why I'm involved is to try and provide those great experiences to others and also
0: sort of stay connected to, to where I grew up. Now, matey, you're also the, the founder of the Halftime Address. Can you tell us about the idea behind this concept and how it supports coaches? Yeah, so it's a a Facebook page that I sort of started when I was
1: uh, less than engaged with my work at at Centrelink, which I should say that they did teach me a a fair bit about leadership and performance management. Similar to this for you, mate. What What I was looking to do was a bit of a passion project. And my take was to just look at successful coaches around the world, what they were doing while I was successful, and what could be applied by local coaches at community community level so it was really good for my building my knowledge so I looked at coaches across the sporting world like uh, Greg Popovich from San Antonio Spurs who was like really good at challenging his best players Um, I think a lot of local coaches even self-included there's a tendency to go easy on your best players that might have come down from from higher levels um, but if you can sort of challenge them and get the best out of them, uh, it sets a pretty good expectation and basis for, for working with the rest of your group. Um, and, yeah, there was others that we looked at. Um, John Wooden, an uh, incredible basketball coach from, from college basketball that really encouraged people to look at um, what made the Allbacks successful and, and those types of things. So, yeah, and then I also tried to uh, write a few articles of thoughts that I might have. Uh, of myself um, as well. So, yeah, that's, um, that's sort of what we're doing in that space. It hasn't been as active uh, of late, but um, I still try and um, share any interesting coaching stories that, that i come across.
0: And, Carl, tell us about your time in Darwin. You've also played a bit up there and, and had some coaching experience too, uh, the strike league and, and the cricket environment up there. Quite a few players uh, in the southern states sort of gravitating to Darwin in the winter and previously when they might have gone to England can you tell us about the standard of cricket up there and your experiences?
1: It's fantastic. Um, the facilities are unbelievable. The, the weather is 30 degrees every day. Um, when I played the local competition there, none of the clubs had covers because they never need them. Um, so, yeah, to think that that is available between June, July and August um, in Australia, um, I think it's still a little bit of a... Um, underutilised opportunity. Um, so I'd certainly encourage any that can to, to get up there and, and get involved. So I was probably pretty fortunate in my timing. Uh, I went up in 2018, which coincided with the um, the bands for Cam Bancroft and Dave Warner. So they, they were up there. Playing in the Strike League, um, while I was there, so I sort of yeah played played a few games and had a sort of assistant coaching role there. But what it was really good for was sort of building my network and understanding of cricket across Australia. Um, it's sort of a bit of a melting pot at, at times, in that each state will send sort of sort of fringe second eleven players up to develop their cricket. So, yeah, whilst I uh, sort of played with Cam and against Dan, sort of got to work with guys like Alex Ross who played uh, a lot of Big Bash cricket and we had um, sort of younger guys like Matt Jilks and Corey Kelly who have started to play some first-class cricket uh, as well. So the opportunity to, to work with those guys was was something uh Really got a lot out of and, um, yeah, hoping to try and get myself back up there um, this August as well to to help out with the Cricket 365. So they're, they're trying to promote that cricket can be played uh, every day in, in Australia. And, yeah, there's a number of contracted players going up again um, along, I think, uh, with PNG. I think they're sending down uh, a team. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing um, how it plays out this, this season.
0: Tell us about the catch, mate, David Warner. Broke the internet as well. Tell us about the catch. Walk us through it. Yeah, we might
1: need to post a link in the show notes or something, <laughs> mate. But, um, yeah, David Warner, just shy of his um, 100 um, at the Marara Cricket Ground there. Just uh, nicked one to about third slip, I think. And, um, yeah, just managed to
0: grasp it in the left hand. I no, love it. Love it. And, hey, mate, final question. I guess Brunswick Cricket Club would be uh, excited about the prospects for this season a uh, very strong sort of senior group there and a couple of emerging young players and how are things shaping up for season 21, 22? Yeah. Uh, the club's in, in in a good place, been able to retain players for, for a
1: number of years now. And whilst we've sort of got guys like Liam Murphy, um, Louis Cameron and and Clint running around, I, I hope that we'll be thereabouts. So yeah, we're, we're sort of hoping to get some premiership success in that in that first grade. We've we've done really well through through the other grades and have got a really good base to, to work with. But that thing sort of said, uh, I sort of try and think of that being an outcome and um, trying to focus on the the process a, a little bit more, which you often hear in coaching coaching terms. So i sort of got a view that if you put yourself in a good position often enough, then you're more likely to, to win um, over the stretch. So we've just got to continue to improve and, and look at the areas that we can get better, but know that we're doing a lot of things well at the same time. So that's probably one, one thing from a club aspect and, probably personally from a coach, the, the things that I find most rewarding are the, the player developments and the, the guys that you see work through the grades from the, the juniors right through to, to the first 11 and even moving on. Um, last season, we had a, a ripping young kid um twenty one year old Dom Sullivan, who had a stellar year in the in the first eleven, and he's going to move on to to Premier cricket this year, and I'm excited to sort of keep a close eye on on his development. and um, yeah, that that's probably the part of coaching that's um that keeps keeps me driving and um, what what you get the most reward out of.
0: Matey, you've been an amazing contributor to Brunswick's progression, They're now one of the benchmark clubs in the Soey's competition. Uh, your impact on young cricketers and the pathway system and also with your role with CV has been sensational, mate. So thanks for jumping on the podcast. and It's been great chatting. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching Clubland. A shout out to the talented Aidan Arandez for putting together our podcast theme song. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Feel free to leave a rating and review. To catch the latest updates from the podcast, check us out on Facebook or on Twitter at Coaching Club Pod. Thanks again and catch you around in Clubland.